right. You actually have to be on cocaine to be on this podcast. <laughs> Let's go, baby. Let's go. <laughs> You're me judging us so hard. <laughs> Play my beautiful theme music, baby. I mean, I saw the first word in your title. I think I think I know I was getting into. Yeah, yeah. That's fair. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and get started with our episode today. What's up, everybody? You're listening to yet another edition of Cocaine Willie. Um, I'm Fireball Matt, leading uh, today with the good chef, Andre Napier. You may notice one less host this week as our fearless commissioner, Bob Trollsby, is enjoying the weekend with his family in the mountains, and we did not want to wake him. Um, after an excellent victory against Southeast Missouri State last night, 45 nothing. We are moving right along to next Saturday with a preview of our matchup with the Troy Trojans. And we're excited to be joined by a Troy insider, Thomas Gleason of the Trojan Wall, um, to talk us through about his thoughts for this upcoming matchup. Um, So, Thomas, great to have you um, on the show today. Um, Very excited uh, to hear more. And uh, in many ways, you're considered as uh, an expert when it comes to Troy athletics. So, baby. Uh, can, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about your experience building the Trojan wall and how you became interested in Troy athletics as a whole? Well, um, I'm a graduate. Um, and so is Ben Whitehead, uh, my, uh, my co-pilot on, on the website and, um, Scott Watkins, who is right now, he's the, uh, uh, he's a sports writer, uh, writer for, um, actually covering Southern Miss, but the three of us, uh, all graduated from Troy. Um, and when I graduated, uh, and when Scott graduated, we just kind of fell in together into this, um, this group, uh, there was a group of, uh, group of five, so to speak blogs called forgotten five. And, um, we built up a Troy specific website. We loved it. We love doing stats. We love covering them. Um, and, uh, my real job is in journalism. So it was a nice outlet for me to be able to, uh, do something I still love, but, uh, not have to worry about um, putting stuff on the air. Um, we love our school just as like y'all love uh, Kansas State. Um, and that it, I've been doing it for about seven years. I graduated in 16. So yeah, seven years now. Um, just putting away stories about Troy history because when you think of college football in Alabama, you obviously think of Auburn and Alabama. Um, but Troy has been around since 1909. So I was like, I'm sure we've got some great stories in there to tell and that's how Ben felt and that's how Scott felt. And, uh, Scott left us to go do a real job of covering Southern Miss. And, um, we, we've just been chugging along without him since. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there have been, there've been a ton of great stories in, in, in across Troy athletics, uh, both football, basketball, um, a little bit of baseball, but, uh, that's just, that's how the wall got started and that's how, that's where we are now. So. That's pretty freaking sick, dude. I mean, I love, you know, I love fan sites that make it official and all that. But we're talking Troy Trojans versus K-State now. But yeah. I want to talk, I, I really want to talk about this Troy game that just happened. Uh, Troy's 1-0. You know, you beat Stephen F. Austin by 18 on Saturday. All things considered, it, uh, it seemed like a good, you know, super close matchup kind of towards the middle. But it, it, it stretched out towards the end. What were your overall thoughts? Uh, on the performance for 
the Troy Trojans. So a little bit of a spoiler for um, I did a recap article that's coming out tomorrow, but the um, overall good, good things. Um, your first game of the year, you're at home, you're hosting an FCS opponent. Um, I think everybody sees this as a tune-up game in one way or another, but the fact of the matter is it felt like Troy picked up immediately where it left off last year. Um, Arkansas State and ULM last year, same situation. Kamani Vidal rushes for uh, 200 yards, and they put up for, uh, 40 points on two lower-level teams. That's exactly what happened this this uh, this Saturday. I think the difference is you had your opening weekend jitters because they put up 13 points on turnovers. There was a fumble recovery for a touchdown. There was a muff punt that turned into a field goal, and then there was another fumble that ended up being a field goal for them as well. So miscues and mistakes obviously happening in the first week, but um, offensively, uh, it, it, it felt solid. It felt like the team picked up where it left off. Um, we even got a defensive touchdown, which was kind of one of the things that, uh, as 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 the Troy um, as Troy fans, we loved seeing the past few years was um, whether it be a fumble recovery or an, a pick six. Those things get you hyped. So uh, just seeing a little bit of everything, and then a lot of things that were like, yeah, that needs to, needs a little bit of work. And coach even said that in the post pros. Yeah, good night post game presser. So. Nice, nice. And uh, let's kind of key in on a couple players uh, on your offense that had some big games yesterday. And I want to start with your quarterback, Gunnar Watson. Yeah. Um, 194, 196 yards passing through for four touchdowns. Um, last year, he was the Sun Belt Championship game MVP um, after Troy beat Coastal Carolina, which as somebody I, I love watching college football, I remember that game, you know, that was, he balled oh, yeah. in that game. Yeah, um, it was, it was, uh, I think that was the biggest, like, that was the best performance. Uh, I think Troy's offense put up against, um, let's say a legitimate opponent. Cause I no offense to ULM and Arkansas state, but they were kind of the bottom of the barrel and being in the conference championship game again, to put, you know, 30, 40 points on somebody, um, let in the conference championship game is, is exciting. Uh, specifically speaking to Gunner, he's been around the, 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 um, he's been around the, the program for a while now. Um, he was, co he was playing in 2020. He was a starter in 28, 21, but this is the first real year that he hasn't been, hasn't been really challenged, uh, in the off season. He's not, he's the guy, he's the number one. He was going to be, um, and it was, it had nothing really to do with the fact that he did so well against, Coastal Carolina, it's the fact that he's the oldest guy there, and we don't have a Jarrett Dagey coming in or a Taylor Powell coming in who would compete against him. The other guys in the room are younger, and they're, we're looking at them maybe to be the uh, future of the, of, the, of the program. But over the um, offseason, one of the big storylines was coming from Coach was that uh, Gunner was taking it seriously. Like um, He had been, he'd been competent. He'd been, really, he'd been good. I think he had a lot of flaws in his play, but the thing about it was, was when he really clicked against Coastal, I think that they might have changed something in him because over the, the offseason, coach was saying he's in better shape than I've ever seen him. Um, he's really like sticking to the game. He's really working out, really like trying to make this a big year. It's a make or break year for him too as a senior. So he's taking it seriously. And yesterday, with the exception of the one interception that he threw in basically garbage time. He did look good. He looked uh, pretty solid as a decision maker, looked pretty solid as a, uh, a, a throwing it around. Um, when his stats were, again, looked a lot like the, the Coastal, Cham Coastal Carolina championship game. 
So um, if that's what we're going to see all year, I'm excited for it. Hey, and he's not the only one back there. Because, I mean, you got you got a running back. What's his name? Kamani Vidal. I mean, he's Vidal. 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 I mean, I like that better. Uh, he, he absolutely went off. You know, two, when you see a running back with a with 250, a, a two digits, you know, just 200 yards plus, and he led the team in receiving – What's a guy like that mean to your offense? And we just saw a running back that had major production, mind you, at the FCS level. What can Kamani bring to the table, and what does he have to do for Troy to, you know, see some success? Yeah. Well, so that's that's the thing. I'm giving. I'm going to drop a little stat, a little trivia for you. He's the first Troy running back to have three 200 yard rushing games. Um, the last guy to do it, his name was Eddie Brundage. He um, was back in the 80s during the national championship runs that Troy had in Division II. But so to tell you what kind of what he what he means to this program historically, um, he's just a, a, an explosive electric uh, piece of this offense. But to tell you what it actually does for the offense itself, the way that John Sumrall and Joe Craddock's offense works is that it starts with the run. This is something that really – I can't say if it's really new because it hasn't been done under the previous two coaches. And I'm not very sure that that was how Blakeney approached it before them, but um, this offense is more balanced. It's very pro style. I talked about Gunner. I talked about how good he was throwing the ball around, but um, it was very much a spread offense under Neil and Chip Lindsay. And now it's more balanced. It's uh, Kamani's not the only running back that Troy has. There's um, Asa Martin, who is a former Auburn player, former Memphis player, transferred all across the South and ended up in Troy. He had an explosive first uh, kickoff return at the very beginning of the game um, yesterday and kind of showed what he can do. Uh, Jarris Williams, Jarris Williams um, is a guy from Mobile who's about to be, who will be the next Kamani on this team. Um, Damian Taylor, another running back. There's a room full of talented backs, but Kamani being the number one guy there. Um, and it being a run first offense, it's like it's less to say that what can he bring to the offense and what does this offense do with him and how does it operate? It starts with him. It starts with that offensive line and getting the run game going in order to open up the pass. And talking about your defense, um, so they only gave up 240 yards in the game yesterday. They did score that pick six um, early in the first quarter of the game that you mentioned. Uh, can you give us a little bit more insight into the defensive philosophy um, that the Troy coaching staff has and, and been putting in with those players and maybe some defensive players that we should be looking out for on Saturday on uh you know, against our offense. So that first, the, the pick six that we mentioned um, is it was a ready Stewart is the guy's name. He kind of feels like the uh, leader of the defense in a way. Um, last year, I don't know if you knew anything about Troy, but uh, there's a guy named Carlton Marshall, who's a linebacker. Um, and little up, undersized guy, undersized guy. That's right. Five, nine, mm -hmm. but he ended up having the NCAA's total like career, tackle number at the FBS level. Like no one tackled any more guys than Carlton Marshall did. Uh, he wore number two. And so when he graduated and left, he handed off that number two to Reddy Stewart, who is the um, de facto leader in the secondary there. Um, I can tell you that he, he's going to be a guy to watch. There's another guy named Oshai Fletcher who's in the, in the secondary. And that's kind of been what um, that's kind of been how this defense has, has adapted after losing 
uh, Carlton and Will Cholo and a bunch of other like senior level guys, but the defensive line still holds holds strong. Um, that's still like the anchor of this uh, of this defense, and it's pretty much always been that way. But this year, even more so. Buddha Jones is a nose tackle. Lewis Medina is a un, uh, un, is a tackle. AJ Pierce. Um, you've got uh, uh, Richard Jubinor, who's a bandit, another a transfer from Auburn, but played mostly with Troy. Um, you got a lot of guys in that front three, front four that are going to be like that. That's that's where it starts. It starts in the trenches. It starts with the defensive line. But this year, the I think the big big changes instead of having a solid group of linebackers in the middle there that make that front seven so dominating, they've kind of loaded up in the secondary. Um, there's plenty of guys around um, in, in this in the just safeties and cornerbacks that are so talented as that's where basically the shift of talent has gone. So you're going to see there's still guys with the talent in the linebacking portion, but it's still it's going to be like you're going to see more of a shutdown turnover base like secondary going in um, and as opposed to seeing like that front seven being really monstrous like, like last year. Uh-oh. Hey, oh. Chef. Oh, look at his face. Oh, he's so upset. He's so sad. It's okay. I can take a, I can take it from here. So, <laughs> um, so in the past 10 years, Troy has definitely risen up in the Sun Belt. Um, you would uh, definitely be pretty pleased to win two championships in any conference. Absolutely. Uh, but in the past 10 years, two Sun Belt championships, four bowl game victories in the four that you're invited to. Last year, 12 and two consensus top 25 in the AP poll coaches poll college football playoff ranking. Awesome. An amazing season. What would you say has been the key and what's driven their recent success and, and what kind of hype are you seeing around the team this uh, upcoming season? So that's, that's, that's the key, right? Is hype. Um, Neil Brown was hired back in 2014. Um, I mentioned a guy named Blakeney. He was basically the guy, the grandfather of Troy football brought him up from division two to the FBS level. Um, but by the time he was done in about, like you said, a decade ago, um, on his way out, it was, there was still some hype. There were still some games that Troy was being like close to beating Tennessee, standing up to Mississippi state and Dak Prescott in 2014. But it was just, it was just kind of there. It was just kind of like, yeah, this is what it used to be. Uh, then they hired Neil Brown who had been a coordinator at Troy, uh, but they brought in Neil Brown and I, it was a night and day difference, just the excitement around the team, the excitement around the locker room, um, players bought in. It was just an excitement and a passion that uh, hadn't been seen in a couple years since probably the heyday in, in the mid-2000s of winning five conference championships in a row. Um, but he also brought in smart guys. He was he was very much um, – I don't want to make the comparison to Saban, but I want to make the, the, the just the intellectual part of it. He was so – into the like X's and O's of it. Um, but he also had that passion. That passion was everything. And that's how that team turned around from uh, four wins in 2015 to 10 win season in 2016. Uh, the first 10 win season in the program's history. Uh, won a conference championship in 17, won three straight 10 win seasons. And that's how Neil Brown ended up at West Virginia, right? Like he's this up and coming group of five team and West Virginia is like, okay, let's go get, let's get him. Um, Followed up with uh, Chip Lindsey, a coach that I grit my teeth whenever I say his name. It was very clear that the la the the hype, the passion, just was not there. Um, it was 
he was supposed to be this offensive guru. It ended up being more of a defensive uh, powered team because that's how last year's defense was built up. Um, I can't remember the, I can't remember the guy's name for the life of me, but uh, he ended up at Oklahoma. He was the, um, and I think maybe USC now, but uh, he was the defensive coordinator at Troy and built up the defense. Uh, but it just never could get over the hump of being a 500 team. And so Chip Lindsay was out the door, bring in, basically who was supposed to be Neil Brown's heir apparent, his his assistant head coach at the time, John Sumrall, bring him in again three years later. And all of a sudden, again, like a light switch, night and day difference, you go from a five-win team to a 12-win team, the best team in the program's history at this level. And uh, it's it all goes back to that coach, the how good they are, how smart they are, how passionate they are, and how they can get those guys ready mentally. Um, we could talk about how the, <laughs> the App State – game last year was a big catalyst for turning into a successful team, but um, it, that wouldn't be possible if it weren't for John Summerall's passion and energy and drive and how good of a coach he is. I, hey, I want to go off of the outline real quick. I just want to ask a few questions. So, Not a few questions. Yeah. You brought up the history of Troy. Now, I, have, I live in a household and I all growing up, my dad would bring up, he's from Toxie, Alabama, and he would bring up that he was recruited by the Troy Trojans in 1980. Ooh. Can you give me a little brief history of like what the team was like back then? Because I couldn't imagine a team being any good that was recruiting my father to play football for him. So <laughs> I kind of just want to know, like, what were they like? Because they had to be terrible. <laughs> well, I will say I think 1980 was was a very terrible, very like, that specific year was kind of in the bridge in the gap um, in the late seventies. It was, it was not great. Um, the late sixties was great for Troy won an NAIA national championship, um, but just kind of like coasted in the NAIA moved into division two kind of thing. Um, but in the early eighties, your, your dad just barely missed the boat because they hired Chan Gailey. If you recognize that name uh, as a head coach, in I want to say 82 maybe so like right after your dad was recruited he came in and ended up taking Troy to a, a, a national championship in 1984 and then he bolted out the door his heir apparent came in Rick Rhodes another name if you recognize his name um, led Troy to another championship in 87 um, so in the mid 80s in the late 80s great program great um, like division two powerhouse You'd probably think of them like you do, uh, not North Dakota State, but maybe like South Dakota State, where they're in it every so often. Um, but then in, uh, like I said, literally that middle portion right there, in the late 70s, early 80s was just kind of a dark time. But then um, in the 90s, they hired, late 80s, early 90s, they hired Larry Blakeney, like I said. He led Troy from uh, Division Two, became a Division One FCS powerhouse with several playoff appearances several 10 12 win seasons and then in 2001 came up to the fbs level okay that's beautiful now i want to get back onto you know <laughs> i just had to get that in there but no, you, no you, that's what we do though right like that's that's yeah. part of what we were like ben and i love like history and love college football and yeah talking ball down. man and it's like no nobody knows about our college we get it like we love it so much we wanted to put that out there because that does exist and not everybody knows that but anyway, sorry. I'm, no, um, you're good, man. This is this is like this is kind of a mix between our our segments, you know. But I, I love it. 
And I want to bring back to what you had brought up earlier about Neil Brown. Um, you know, when we when Neil Brown came to the Big 12, he had so much success. Well, he had pretty pretty good success down there. And then he comes to West Virginia, and it's just been not a lot of not a lot of nothing, you know. So can you explain kind of why maybe he's not seeing the success? Is it is the jump too big for him or what would your thoughts be on that? Yeah, I, you know, that's a, it's a great question. And I like, I don't know if I know the answer to it, but I could help try because I see a lot of some similar things to what I saw when he was at Troy. Um, some of the ways that he like develop uses the spread and like the way that he pick, he doesn't necessarily like develop a quarterback. He pulls a quarterback in and somebody that's already there, um, he does not have the same defense or the same strength of defense that he did because, um, Vic Koenig was his guy. Vic Koenig was his, um, was an, I would probably say the, the number two guy to John Sumrall, um, in making that team work, but, um, he's, he's at ULM now, so he's not with West Virginia. And so that defense just kind of hasn't been it, been on it. Um, it just, he doesn't have the same pieces. I don't think, um, he had, like I said, the hype and the passion and the culture was all around him at the beginning. And I was, it was beautiful. I loved seeing that. Love seeing West Virginia people being like, Oh, he's a guy. I love him. He's going to be here. But he just, I, you're, that's a great question. And, you know, I think hindsight will end up being 2020, but I don't think the jump was too big. I think he just lost too many pieces of what made Troy successful in West Virginia, or he couldn't figure out how to replicate that. Like, find similar pieces at West Virginia. I don't know. I hate it for him. Yeah. That's completely fair. And, and uh, I mean, back in 20, was it 2019, 2018, when Bill Snyder uh, retired from K-State, um, Neil Brown was one of the top names that we were looking at um, before we did end up bringing, bringing in Chris Kleiman, which, I mean, I think Chef and I can say we're very glad <laughs> that – yeah that turned out, but you never know. I, it, I mean, I think it, yeah. it's all dependent on the situation. It isn't necessarily sometimes as much as the coach as it is. How's the program? You know, what are the things, the environment there that creates success? Right. And and that was something like, I, I think year one or year two, I think that you're get, getting onto something there because Dana Holgerson had a completely different culture than what Neil Brown had. Uh, and the way that he did things was so different from the way that Neil, excuse me, Neil Brown did things. Um, that was that took some time to adjust to, but again, I think it's now three or four years removed from that. So it's not exactly like it's an excuse anymore. It's not like you can say, well, you know, it just didn't work out that way. It's like, well, no, dude, you've had some time to try and figure it out and figure out to do things the way you have. But like I said, going back to that and going back to um, going back to figuring out the pieces that did make it work and figuring like getting the right guys for the job just hasn't worked out for him. But um, yeah, no, I, you know, I hate to say it, but y'all, y'all made the right call, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we, we think so, at least for, for right now. Um, I, I did want to ask this question, especially as somebody who I hear of Troy and very much a college football setting. And, and sometimes it's very early on in the year when you play um, some other schools, whether from the SEC or big 10, et cetera. But what is uh, what is your favorite 
Troy athletics memory from your lifetime, or maybe you have a couple or, you know, is there anything that sticks out as like, this was an incredible moment as a fan of this school? Um, it feels cheap because I'm going to say, I'm probably going to go with uh, the conference championship last year. Um, that's, that's the easy, easy answer for me to pull. I'm trying to figure I got to say, I graduated the week after uh, Neil Brown's first bowl win in uh, in the Dollar General Bowl in 2016. So personally, I'm going to say probably that one. It was the cap of the 10-win season. Troy was back on top. It was great to be a fan and, again, a newly minted alum the next week. Um, so having all that happen all at once was just a great thing. Then the next year, 2017, you've got uh, – oh. How did I, how did I not get to this? 2017, September 31st or September 30th, 2017, going into Death Valley Stadium and beating LSU. I apologize, throwing it all off. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it, it was, it was such a big win. It felt like such, like, it, it felt like we were on top of the world as a fan base and as a program. Um, and it had been, Troy had played two extremely close games with LSU in 04 and 08 and LSU fans themselves said, listen, we didn't like, it was, it was so close. We hated it. We hated how close it was. And just to finally the third time, get the dagger in there. Uh, nope. That's it. That's the one. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's a, that's a hell. Was that the year before Joe Burrow? Uh, yes, it was, but oh. it, it was. And it was yeah. Coach O, and yeah. um, you go back, and when they finally eventually do the 30 for 30 on this, um, I think <laughs> he even said and mentioned that he was like, oh, yeah, we lost to Troy. I think that's that's the point where, we're, where we turned it around. You, sure, we'll take it. Listen, if that's what if that's what made Joe Burrow's career happen, we'll take it, right? Wow, that's that's incredible. I mean, I love I love hearing stuff like that. I mean, we could, me and Matt could – reminisce on memories just like that big wins and stuff like that but knowing everything you know as a as the resident troy trojan expert uh what's your thoughts on what's your thoughts on this game versus k-state you're, you're traveling to manhattan what what could you do to get a dub because i mean the the lines that i think it opened at 15 it opened at 15 I think it, yep i think it moved to 16 today i don't know where it's gonna finish at but what are your thoughts? And I mean, it's a you're a good Troy Trojan team. I mean, there's no reason why this shouldn't be a game. I think it's I think the numbers there because there's so much, so many questions. Um, I think everybody's still asking questions about like, well, you as a team, you still lost so much. Like, you lost experience. You didn't necessarily lose like production, but you lost experience and leadership there. Um, and I think that's what is probably going to end up being part of like the practice this week is like excuse me, you just got to step it up and do things the right way. Um, that's that win in the LSU win in 2017 um, cemented like a legacy of several power five wins. Um, and the idea that Troy is willing to like tr Troy expects to win. That's the culture that the program has. Um, like that's, that's the way that Troy does things. They don't sit back and say, Oh, well, we're the group of five. We'll just take the paycheck and, you know, make sure we'll, we'll play it safe so that nobody gets hurt. Troy's going to come to town to try and win. Um, ask Nebraska, ask Oklahoma state, ask, um, I could literally sit here and list them, but I'm not going to. Um, but 
this year it, it's so many question marks. And I think that's part of why it's difficult for me to say personally what it is that Troy could do because Troy could do everything right. Kamani Vidal probably not going to have another 200 yard game. I hope he does, but that's got to execute. Every single thing's got to execute perfectly in order for this to happen. We didn't necessarily see that on Saturday. We didn't necessarily see that against an FCS opponent week one. And again, that could be week one jitters. That's fine. That's how it is. But to see this team, it, it's everybody's got to be on the same page. Everything's got to click. Everybody's got to perform um, and take advantage of any mistakes that the other team gives us. You know, that's just how that's how you win ball games anyway, right? Like no matter who you're playing, you just think about the basics, you stick to basics, you eliminate mistakes. Um, and uh, I want the win, obviously, like Troy expects to win, but I can see why they're, why it's a 16 point uh, thing. There's just so many questions about this team and we will find out a lot of answers on that on Saturday. And that's what, yeah. that's the bottom line. Yeah, that's the bottom line, but I'm not going to let you just skate out of here like that. That's fine. I, I want to know what what's your prediction for Saturday. Ooh, um, it could be your real one. It could be your Troy Trojan one. You're a graduate. You're allowed to say whatever the hell right, you want to say. Right. Um, I don't. Uh, I'm not paid to do this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Same here. Um, <laughs> so okay. All right. Well, let, let me let me ask some questions real quick. Um, oh, what away, is baby. The, what kind of offense does Kansas State run? Is it more of a spread kind of thing, or is it more of like a, a run first? Is it balanced? Um, well, let me let me say this about the offense. Okay, so we've evolved. I mean, I don't know if you remember K State from last year, but we were we were so heavy into our star running back Deuce Vaughn, our All American, right. another undersized and, guy, another yeah, undersized guy, yeah. very undersized guy, and he's graduated, he's gone. So now our focus on the offense is through our quarterback and he's not a mobile like you know dual threat guy like similar to like our our famous number sevens michael bishop and colin klein he's more of the standing there and he's wheeling and dealing so it's a lot of shotgun a lot of pistol we have dual backs that are willing to run dj giddens a a redshirt sophomore a redshirt sophomore he just went for a buck 25 on 15 carries we have another Florida State transfer at running back. We didn't even have all our weapons in that 45 to nothing shutout of number 11 FCS team, SEMO. Uh, I think our offense is is ready to hum. So I think we've got a, a solid offensive line that's massive and all seniors. It, it we, our offense is probably the the strong the strong suit, and Matt can. You know, he could talk about the defense. We pitched a shutout about that is still our, some would say, our weakest point. Yeah. I mean, defensively, we, yesterday was, uh, I would say it was a little bit of a surprise, our defensive line, how well they got to the quarterback. Um, we've had, we run a 3-3-5 defense and our nose tackle um, has been banged up um, in fall camp, but he actually came back and played yesterday and he, he looked great. Um, yeah. And I think the key for us this season, we we had to replace a, a first round defensive end draft pick for the NFL um, in Felix Anudike, um, and the the defense just looked very very good yesterday. the The big worry that I have is our cornerbacks. Um, 
are, are a little bit limited in experience. I would say our secondary is as a whole outside of the strong safety position um, where we have a guy in Kobe Savage who could be first team all big 12 there. Um, so uh, the key thing is going to be how, especially stopping the run. Um, obviously, uh, you know, a guy who ran for 250 yards, it, it could be against any type of competition. That's still really good. Um, and that still proves that he's a guy who has vision, finds the holes, finds opening, you know, just finds a way to get yards. Um, our, so our, <laughs> our sixth guy, I mean, you know, it's going to be our linebackers and defensive uh, defensive line. They're going to be on their toes. So it, I think it's going to be a very entertaining game absolutely uh, I, I, go ahead sorry oh i was going to say essentially what we're all saying is you guys are coming to manhattan but k-state and under the chris Kleiman era has a a very very weird history with group of five teams so every k-state fan is on their toes everybody is going to be eyes on this game because i'm not going to say that i'm not nervous but i am nervous Right, and it's it's one of those things where it's like you can't overlook us, and we've got to step up to, and we got to step up to that level. Um, so that tells me a lot. That tells me that the defense, like your offensive, Kansas State's offensive line versus Troy's defensive line, is going to be the thing to watch. Right, Defen- Troy's defensive lines is it strong suit? If that's your the offensive line is Kansas State's strong suit, um, how is Troy's uh, defensive line going to get to the quarterback? That's going to be a big thing. Is if that offensive line can keep them from happening. Um, if passing is a strong suit, Troy is a bend but don't break defense. And this, I'm sorry, I'm kind of answering your questions later than you asked, but um, the, the the strength of the defense it has been under Neil Brown and under John Summerall is takeaways, 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 takeaways. Um, you, you you threaten them by trying to make the interceptions and and trying to recover fumbles and turning the ball over. But it's entirely possible that if you switch into more of a spread set, you start running it more, you try and like open up the field more, you will get more leverage and start moving down the field better. So that's that's how that offense is going to play against Troy's defense. Um, I I think that the strengths are going to be are kind of in Troy's favor based on what you tell me. But again, if if there's more, if there's just a talent gap that's there, that's probably what's going to happen on offense for Troy. Um, it is balanced. Like I said, uh, we Troy runs first, sure, but there are deep threats in the, in the wide receiver position. Um, a guy stepped up this past Saturday. Troy doesn't normally use the tight end, but the past two years, they've really worked it in more. And with Deion Cray Lewis, uh, Chris Allendeck, and this new guy, Ethan Connor, who's a Juco transfer, um, there's going to be some tight end work that kind of gives them outs and kind of gives them outsides and insides and kind of short range options. So if Troy wins, we're going to see um, the deep threat and uh, spreading the ball around just like can that's how Kansas state's going to beat Troy and the defense is going to get to the quarterback. Um, <laughs> Chef went away, but uh, there, now he's back. There it is. Um <sighs> This is every every show that happens. It's absolutely hilarious. It's all good. <laughs> it's all good. Um, but I think the, the the end of the day, my homer pick is uh, Troy wins a nail butter upset and um, uh, let's say a two three point win, three point win because they kicked a field goal early and that ended up making the difference. Uh, the realist in me says Troy's going to cover because that's what Troy did all last year. Um, I don't think, uh, I, I think it's going to step up and be surprising, 
but the defense has got to the defensive line's got to step up and the secondary is probably going to step up but it has to because of the way that Kansas State moves the ball um to finally answer it and stop dancing around the bush I'm gonna say Kansas State with maybe seven to ten point win like it's it's I'm hoping it's going to be this close. I'm hoping it's going to be this close, but you know, I've got bourbon ready if it doesn't or bourbon ready. If it does, I mean, uh, Listen, we got bourbon way. ready at all times. It goes down good either way. Right. Yeah. Just like fireball. I don't know. If hey, you like fireball, let's but... go. Fireball, fireball, <laughs> fireball, man. <laughs> no, I, I we're going to chef and I, and, and our, uh, fearless commissioner will have our, show a little bit later this week that talks about our final score predictions and whatnot. But I, I do tend to agree with you. I think this is a game that there's going to be a, a majority of K-State fans that they look at the name and they don't, that's it. And you assume, oh, you're going to win by 20 points. And that's the scary part is there's a lot of people that think that. Now in our locker room with the coaching staff and everyone, I know that they're saying, this team can beat you. Like you have to play at a hundred percent and you know, for all 60 minutes of this game. And that's how I feel too, because I, 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 I've seen Troy play and this is a type of team that if you don't put in the effort, they're going to, they're going to make this absolutely close into the fourth quarter. Um, it's, for, for Chef and I, we see a lot of aspirations with K-State this season, especially. I mean, both of our schools are coming off of a conference championship. Absolutely, and, yeah. And with expectations to repeat this season as well. And so this is an important game for K-State of you're not looking ahead to the week after where we're on the road at Missouri, a, a rival for K-State for, I mean, so many years. Um, I think it's going to be a fun game. I do. Um I, obviously, I hope that K State wins, um, but I hope it's it's very competitive, and um, you know we're we're able to see some we're, we're able to see a fun sixty minutes. So absolutely, like, and, and it's always more fun when it is close like that, right? Um, the Sun Belt hangs its hat on being the best Group of Five conference, and this is as a Sun Belt fan, as a Sun Belt alum, this is obviously one of our chances to shine. And you, you know, I with the exception of other SEC schools, because that's our background, that's our backyard. I, I feel a little, I feel a little sad when it's, when it's teams that get upset by Troy, like sitting at looking at the Nebraska, for example, or the Mizzou back in 2004. Um, because it's like, those aren't teams that Troy normally plays. Those aren't teams that Troy normally like has run-ins with, but also then again, you start looking at the rest of the years that Troy's played other teams and didn't win. So, I mean, you know, <laughs> um, but I, there is an expectation to win. That's, that was set up early on. That was set up uh, here, like uh, in, in recent years under Neil Brown. Um, and that's just got to be the mentality for Troy to, to repeat, like you said, um, because there's a good chance of it now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Thomas, thank you so much again for your time today, talking with us. This was awesome. Um, I know our listeners are, um, you know, going to learn a lot from this show today as well. Um, I do want to give you some time to plug where our listeners can find you and, um, you know, get some follows and listeners. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, the Twitter handle or X or whatever it's called at, uh, at Trojan wall F five. It's 
a holdover from that Forgotten Five, like I said. Um, the website is thetrojanwall.com. Um, we're also on Facebook, uh, The Trojan Wall. Uh, that's mostly where we are, though, is Twitter. That's right. There you go. I love it. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's where we're going to be there most of the time. We're very active on Twitter. Uh, we're very... Uh, I've got, like I said, I've got a recap on Saturday coming out tomorrow. I've got... Um, on Thursday, I'm going to have y'all answer some, I'm going to have some answers to questions from y'all that are a little off the wall, but uh, I'm going to break it down number style with uh, data and stuff that I try to do every Thursday before games. So um, I, I look forward to engaging with y'all on Twitter and uh, seeing what y'all got to say on about other things too. So. Yeah, absolutely. Well, again, thank you so much for your time today. And for all of us here at Cocaine Willie, thank you for listening to the show on your podcast feeds or watching us on YouTube. Um, Please do us a favor. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, give us a five-star rating. If you're watching on YouTube, give us a like on the video. And as always, you can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube at Cocaine Willie, or follow us individually. I'm at Matt Marchesini. Chef is at Chef Andre Napier. And the other guy is at Bob Trollsby. So chef hit us. Cocaine's a hell of a drug, baby. We're all Coke and no joke. Wildcat country. Let's ride. Let's ride.